Chapter Four, Part One of Chemical Phenomena in Life by Frederick Chopik. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Outer Protoplasmatic Membrane and Its Chemical Functions, Part One. Besides the transparent condition and the absence of coarser granules or microsomes, hyaloplasm exhibits a series of microscopical peculiarities. It is well known that protoplasm in living plant cells generally shows a streaming movement, which is easily recognized either by the movement of the chlorophyll bodies themselves or by that of the microsomes. These bodies are carried along by the streaming protoplasm with considerable velocity. Even the cell nucleus is, in some cases, carried along by the current of streaming protoplasm. This outer, transparent layer is continually at rest, is never made turbid by particles, and never includes drops of liquid, cell sap, which is quite commonly found in the polioplasm of older cells. Perhaps the viscosity of hyaloplasm is greater than that of polioplasm. In any case, the boundary lamella of the hyaloplasm must be of tougher consistence, and may well be considered to be a plasmatic membrane or boundary membrane of the living parts of the cell. This plasmatic membrane is the proper organ for regulating the osmotic change of substances with the outer world. While the cellulose membrane of the cell is only a dead cover of the living contents, the living plasmatic membrane is variable in its condition, and is quite different when it is in its normal living state and when dead. If slices of beetroot are dipped in water, after having the remainder of the cells which were cut through properly washed off, one may keep them in water for any length of time without losing even a trace of the red coloring matter in the living cells. But if chloroform is added to the water, and the cells are killed by the narcotic agent, streams of red color go out from the tissue. The dead protoplasmatic membrane is no longer able to retain the contents of the cell. In the living cell, the decision to take up dissolved substances from the liquid outside the cell lies with the protoplasmatic membrane. Even the well-known fact that the chemical constitution of plants is quite different from that of the soil in which they are growing proves the elective influence of the protoplasmatic membrane in endosmosis. This elective influence is much better shown by the phenomenon of plasmolysis. We owe to Hugo de Vries of Amsterdam the excellent method here described. It is best to choose cells with red-colored cell sap for the experiments. Such cells are found on the undersurfaces of many leaves. Corollary petals may also well serve the purpose, but they are not so easily cut with the razor. When such sections are put into salt solution of sufficient concentration, for example, potassium nitrate 2%, after some minutes all cells show their protoplasm shrunk away from the cell wall. The cell protoplasm forms a red ball lying free in the cell. When the sections are put back into water, the plasmolysis disappears and the cells regain their normal condition. Plasmolysis is therefore a normal, merely physical phenomenon, not at all a pathological one. How can plasmolysis be explained? Microscopical inspection immediately convinces us of the fact that the volume of protoplasm is reduced in plasmolysis. It was only possible for this to be brought about by the expulsion of water from the sap vacuole of the protoplast. By loss of water, the concentration of the sap is increased until the osmotic value of the outer solution is greater than the osmotic value of the cell sap. This state being arrived at, equilibrium is regained. We learn from this process that the protoplasmatic membrane 
cannot be permeable for the salt in solution. If it had been permeable, the equilibrium would have been reached simply by endosmosis into the cell, as long as the concentration inside and outside had not become equivalent. Or osmotic substances would have penetrated the protoplasmatic membrane from the inside of the cell when plasmolysis disappeared in water. Consequently, we may say that the plasmolytic power of a certain solution proves distinctly that the substance cannot pass through the living protoplasmatic membrane. If the solution does not effect any plasmolysis, we may be sure that the substance enters the cell more or less considerably. Ernest Overton was the first who thoroughly investigated these interesting problems in 1895. He found that non-acid alcohols, aldehydes and ketones, also esters of fatty acids and alkaloids, produce least plasmolysis. As a rule, it is impossible to bring about plasmolysis by means of these substances. They enter the cell very easily and pass through the plasmatic membrane without any difficulty. Glycols and amino compounds cause plasmolysis a little more readily. With glycerin or erythrite, it is still easier to bring about plasmolysis. But the sugars and the substances most closely related, for instance mannite, the amino acids and the salts of organic acids, very readily produce plasmolysis. They cannot pass through the protoplasmatic membrane, but with great difficulty. Finally, the salts of inorganic substances very quickly cause plasmolysis, since they very slowly pass the plasmatic membrane, or practically do not pass the boundary of protoplasm. Overton added to his valuable experiments a most ingenious conclusion. He drew attention to the fact that just such substances easily pass through protoplasmatic membrane as are soluble in fat. This is the reason why chloroform and ether are so readily taken up by the cell. Overton showed further that the phenomenon of narcosis is principally founded upon the storing of chloroform by the fatty compounds which are most important constituents in the nervous system. Overton's theory was at last confirmed by experiments on aniline dyes. These substances, as a rule, are soluble only in alcohol or in such organic liquids as dissolve fatty compounds. They are readily taken up by cells. It is easy to prepare from such coloring matters compounds which are soluble in water. This is done by treating them with sulfuric acid. The sulfonic acids thus obtained are substances soluble in water, but insoluble in ether or alcohol. Such solutions cannot enter living cells. The conclusion finally drawn by Overton from all these facts was this, that protoplasm is enveloped in a thin layer which is either rich in fatty substances or is a thin film of fat or oil, as was the opinion expressed by the German physicist Quenke some years before Overton's work appeared. There are many facts, indeed, which seem to make such a theory very plausible. Living protoplasm always acts as liquids do in a state of equilibrium. When it enters a state of rest, it assumes the shape of a sphere. Such action can be quite distinctly seen in amoeba when they are preparing for the resting state. Plasmolyse protoplasm has the same inclination. We see that protoplasm in rest has the tendency to diminish its surface as far as possible in proportion to its mass or its volume. The spherical surface is the geometrical minimum of surface for a certain volume. From this phenomenon we learn that the force of surface tension must in some way regulate the outlines of living protoplasm. 
when the living protoplasm of an amoeba stretches out its so-called pseudopodia on one side and draws in the projecting parts on the other thus creeping slowly over the moist ground variations in the surface tension on different parts of the circumference of the cell must take place the surface tension must increase when new prominences are formed and surface tension must diminish whenever pseudopodia are drawn in but such alterations in surface tension presume certain chemical changes in the boundary layer of the cell and formation of substances which show different surface tension in comparison with the foregoing state we learn further that such chemical processes must be reversible to be repeated whenever needed in cell life in water protoplasm always shows a distinctly lower surface tension to the watery medium than mucous protein substances or carbohydrates it always rounds to spherical shape when in rest we owe to the famous thermodynamic studies by willard gibbs the eminent american scientist the theoretical basis for the knowledge of the behavior of different substances in compound systems which possess different surface activity if these substances have the power of diminishing the surface tension of the medium they always show the tendency to accumulate on the surface if there are several such substances then that substance which most depresses the surface tension or is most surface active is generally accumulated in the surface layer upon the basis of willard gibbs theory we may expect in advance that all the protoplasmatic substances which have the strongest power of depressing surface tension such as fats must necessarily be collected upon the surface of protoplasm so overton's hypothesis is confirmed by several arguments and we may consider it to mark an important progress in the chemistry of protoplasm in the course of these investigations it was highly desirable that we should be enabled to measure the surface tension of living protoplasm and to compare the surface tension of protoplasm with the figures obtained for the surface tension of different substances the difficulties however were great and could not be overcome till lately the advance sought for came from studies on the toxic effects of alcohols on living cells traube in berlin showed that the well-known law of poisonous effects of alcohols generally called richardson's law that the higher members of the series of alcohols are more poisonous than the lower ones was connected with the capillary properties or the surface tension of the alcohols the german chemist proved that the surface activity of the alcohols increases from one member to the following one in the same series in the ratio of one to three a glance at the results obtained by overton and others on the poisonous effects of alcohols immediately showed traube that the toxic effect increases in the same proportion the law of surface activity and richardson's law must therefore be the same later on corresponding facts were found in the class of esters but exclusively in the members of an homogeneous series of organic compounds when i studied the toxic effects of organic solutions on plant cells i noticed that the exosmosis of substances from the cell vacuole consequently the death of cells regularly took place when the surface tension of the solution had reached the same degree most plant cells are injured and die when a solution is applied which has the surface tension of about two-thirds relatively to that of water no alcohol no ether nor narcotic has been found which did not affect the cell in a solution of such a surface activity but all substances of the most different chemical character began to injure the cell just when the surface tension had reached the critical point 
since all alcohols ethers ketones and many other substances obey the same physiological law we must conclude that all these substances have the same physiological effect upon living protoplasm if we consider that according to willard gibbs theory a substance of higher surface activity when brought into contact with protoplasm must necessarily displace the active substances of the superficial layer we see that disorganization of the structure of this layer must be the consequence we understand that exosmosis must take place this effect is always exercised whenever the concentration of the substance exceeds the critical degree of surface tension this degree therefore must be slightly below the real value of protoplasmatic surface tension consequently we measure also the surface tension of protoplasm when we apply alcohol or any other solution of the critical capillarity practically we may take the surface tension of common plant cells as equivalent to the surface tension of eleven percent ethyl alcohol this result forces us to raise the question why the surface tension of protoplasm has just this value and no other further experiments on the working of fatty emulsions on living cells showed me that poisonous effects such as are produced by alcohols can be caused even by emulsions of fatty bodies that is by colloid solutions the only condition is that the surface tension should be low enough to affect the superficial layer of protoplasm so lecithin and cholesterol emulsions are quite as effective as true surface active solutions but emulsions of neutral fats never produce toxic effects the determination of the amount of surface tension in emulsions of neutral fats as highly concentrated as possible gave the result that such emulsions regularly depress the surface tension to two-thirds of the value of that of pure water since fatty compounds are always present in protoplasm it does not seem to be by chance that the surface tension of living protoplasm and the surface tension of fat emulsions are practically the same the conclusion may perhaps therefore be drawn that the superficial layer of protoplasm contains an emulsion of neutral glycerides such as triolin linolin ricinolin and others Overton's and Quincus' theory that the peripheral layer of protoplasm can be compared to an oily film or a very thin layer of fat, Overton thought of lecithin or cholesterol, does not seem to be quite a correct one. The ordinary food of plants consists of watery solutions of substances which are usually not soluble in fat. It is, as I think, more probable that the fat in the plasmatic membrane is present in the form of an emulsion of extreme fineness the interstitial space between the fat globules must be filled up with a watery colloid solution most probably a protein sol so the plasmatic membrane would in my opinion consist of two phases one the lipoid phase is given by a fat emulsion the other the hydroid phase by the protein solution which forms the greater part of hyaloplasm end of part one of chapter four